We all carry something. We get weighed down by regrets from our past. We take our suspicions and judgments with us. We shoulder resentment toward those who hurt and disappoint us. What if we didn't have to carry all that baggage anymore? Well, good morning again, everyone. My name is Ryan Alexander. I want to greet those of you in Shock Hosanna and Shakopee, and of course, everyone in Lakeville, and, and those who are joining us online around the world, many of you, and also just around the corner. Some of you are checking us out, and uh, if that's you, when you are comfortable, we'd love to have you come join us in person sometime. I am landing the plane on this series, Baggage Claim, if you will, and uh, to get us thinking about this, I want to ask you a question. Okay, and this might stir up some emotion, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Have you ever lost your luggage? I can see it in your, you're having flashbacks, you know, hot flashes, your blood pressure is rising here. Uh, for me, the flashback is to 2000, went to China with, with my wife's family. My brother-in-law was living there and we landed in Shanghai. You know, there are 14 million people who live in Shanghai. We, we came out of the airport. I think all 14 million were right outside the airport and uh, we jumped into a cab. They threw our luggage into a cab and the cab in front of us took off with our luggage into a city of 14 million people. And now it's a long story. Uh, We eventually got it back. Uh, It was nothing short of a miracle, okay? We got that luggage back. Normally, you don't want to lose your luggage, do you? In fact, most of the time, you don't want to lose your luggage. The exception is what we're talking about in this series, baggage claim. You do want to lose luggage in the way that we're talking about, luggage or baggage in this series, that, that we all acquire, pick up, baggage along the way. We carry it. It's heavy baggage. And we've talked about different types of baggage in this series. The, the baggage of religion the first week. The second week, last week, the baggage of regret. Pastor Shea nailed it, hit it out of the, drilled it out of the park last week on regret. And my only regret after hearing that message is that some of you missed it. And I regret that. So, so check it out online. Powerful, powerful word about regret. So maybe you're following the pattern here and, and you know that the preachers like alliteration. So we've got religion, regret, and maybe you've already picked up on it. The third R, don't say Ryan, okay, <laughs> is resentment. Resentment, the baggage of resentment. And, and this is, we save the best for last or the trickiest for last. This one is the, is the most complicated, resentment. Why? Because you were hurt. It did hurt. When, when someone did that or said that, uh, there were some, some very valid feelings that you had and have maybe even an, about that hurt. And those feelings are, are, are normal. I would even say they're healthy. I would even say they're God-given, that those feelings that we have. We'll talk more about that later. But what can happen, and it happens all the time, is that those feelings can start to seep into our, our being. They can start to seep into our, our bones, even, if you will. And these feelings that are healthy and, and, and God-given, if we don't process them in healthy, godly ways, they can seep into us and, and start to become something so much more than that. 
resentment. Maybe you've seen this quote before. Resentment is like taking poison and hoping the other person dies. Right? I mean, we think that holding on to grudges and resentment, it's hurting the other person, it's holding the other person back, but who's it hurting more? Us. And we, we take on this baggage of resentment, we carry it around, and it's, it's heavy, and it, and it holds us back. Like Pastor Shea talked about last week, it makes it harder for us to climb to those peaks that God has for us. And we get weighed, we get weighed down by resentment and bitterness and grudges. But here's the good news. Hear this. It doesn't have to be this way. Hear this. You don't have to live like this. I remember someone told me that a while back and was like, yeah, it's true. You don't have to live like this. It's possible to live a life that is lighter and freer. And that possibility begins and it ends with Jesus. And so we're gonna go to him right now and ask that he would do what only he can do. Would you pray with me? Lord, we come to you this morning. We're coming from all different places. And so God, I I ask that in your Holy Spirit you would come and bring us together as one that you would unify us around this topic and around this time, that your word would do. The vision I'm getting, and it's because it's the vision I had when I left our house, is a clogged drain. <laughs> and that there are some here, that, that and maybe all of us in some way, where the drain is clogged in our hearts. And so would you do what only you can do spiritually and unclog that, that drain in our hearts, our minds, our lives so that we can receive more of your love, more of your truth, more of what you have for us, so that we can live free and fully. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Well, I gotta tell you, I I scoured the, the scriptures for hours and hours and hours looking for one, just one story about people wronging each other or treating each other poorly or or causing resentment. And I just it was so hard to find one. If you have read the Bible for more than five minutes, you know that I'm, I'm, not, I'm not being serious with you right now because the Bible is filled with stories of people wronging each other and doing things that would cause resentment. In fact, you don't even need to go any further than the book of Genesis. There are a half dozen stories in the book of Genesis of, of people ca- causing all kinds of pain and resentment toward each other. This thought dropped for me this week, and, and uh, I think it works. That Genesis could be uh, summarized, this could be the, the, the subtitle for Genesis, is God's faithfulness towards his dysfunctional family. Right? Like these people in Genesis, they put the fun in dysfunctional here. And, and there's all kinds of interactions and, and, and relationships where there is resentment springing up everywhere. So I could have gone with any number of stories, but we're going to go with the story of Jacob and Esau. Jacob and Esau. And their story, their shared story, uh, covers about nine chapters. In fact, it is nine chapters, from chapter 25 in Genesis to chapter 33. And we're eventually going to end up in a passage in Genesis 33, verses 1 through 4, if you want to go there now and open your Bibles. If you have them, you can. But first, I'm going to summarize Genesis 25 through 32, okay? No big deal. But their story, uh, Jacob and Esau, starts where all of our stories do. They're born. They're twins, right? About 4,000 years ago, they're born to their parents, Isaac and Rebekah, as twins. Now, like any birth of twins, it's a unique birth story. Uh, Some of you have twins. You know this. Uh, But theirs is especially unique because in chapter 25, we read that the younger Jacob came out of the womb holding on to his older brother Esau's heel. Okay, get this picture as they're coming out. Now, that, 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 that helps us understand why Jacob's name in Hebrew sounds a lot like the Hebrew words for heel or deceiver, Jacob. 
Now, Esau's name means hair. Why? Because he was a big old hairball when he was born. Seriously. I mean, scripture tells us he was born with hair all over his body like a, fur, like a thick fur coat. Right? You've probably said before, I've never seen a baby picture that wasn't cute. Esau's would be the exception to that, okay? He's like a gremlin coming out. Anyway, so, so they're born, and, and right, right from an early age, their parents, Isaac and Rebecca, they, they start playing favorites. Now, I know all parents say they don't have favorites, and we know that they're not telling the truth, okay? Especially those of us who weren't the favorites, all right, my little brother was. But anyway, um, but they, they, they start playing favorites. And, and Isaac, he favors, he favors uh, Esau because Esau is a hunter. And, and, and Isaac likes the game or the food that he brings back. And, and Rebecca favors Jacob. Why? Because he likes to stay home. He's kind of a mama's boy. Anyone else out there, mama's boy? Some of you are pointing. I'm not alone in this, am I? Okay. So I'm pointing fingers at the person next to you. But, but there's their favorite. So resent, resentment comes from that. We know that, right? And, and so the, it starts to kind of trickle into their relationship, Jacob and Esau. But then things really get going. The floodgates open when Jacob, true to, to his name, true to form, in cahoots with his mom, deceives his brother and his father, tricks them. This is great. You got to read the story. But, but in the end, tricks them into receiving the birthright that is due to Esau. He, he tricks Jacob tricks his, his dad and his brother and gets this birthright, the inheritance, the blessing of the firstborn. As you can imagine, as you can imagine, Esau is not a happy camper, or maybe better said, he's not a happy hunter. <laughs> and and hap, hap, not, unhappy hunters are not always the best people to have around. In fact, he says this, Genesis 27, 41, he says, my, Esau hated, that my brother's not supposed to be there. Esau hated Jacob. He said to him, and he said to himself, my father will soon be dead and gone, then I will kill Jacob. All right, so, so is there resentment here? Absolutely. I mean, it's just coming out of his pores how resentful he is. Now, Rebecca, remember, she's got her mama's boy. She gets wind of this and tells Jacob to get out of Dodge because Esau's upset. And Jacob does for 20 years, leaves home. And for 20 years, he's on a journey of of soul searching, and he gets tricked himself a couple of times, which is always good for a trickster to get tricked, to be on the other end of it, get a dose of his own medicine. He wrestles with God. And then where we're going to pick up the story is after 20 years of not speaking to each other, of not interacting with each other, they are going to come together after 20 years face to face. That's where we pick up the story. Now, how are you feeling if you're Jacob in that moment? little nervous. He remembers his brother's a hunter, a good hunter at that. He sends a scout, Jacob sends a scout ahead, and the scout comes back and says, Esau is approaching with an army of 400 people. Okay? This is what he's expecting. Now, what does Jacob do in that moment? He does whatever, what what any respectable man would do. He sends his his wife and kids ahead of him, and he stays back and prays. (laughs) It's true. It's a true story. He does that. Jen could tell you some stories about me in that regard. But anyway, we're not going to go there. And eventually, though, uh, Jacob mans up. He does the right thing, and he goes ahead of his family to meet Esau, and that's where we pick up the story in in verse 1. Then Jacob looked up and saw Esau coming with his 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Leah, Rachel, and his two servant wives. 
He put the servant wives and their children at the front, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph last. So he's playing favorites too. It's a generational thing. And then later on, the next generation, they're going to see favoritism as well. It's passed on. Then Jacob went on ahead as he approached his brother. He bowed to the ground seven times before him. What's that all about? Bowing in the ancient world meant submission, and seven was the number of completeness. So he is, he is completely submitting Jacob to Esau here. And what happens? Or anticipate. Verse four. Then Esau ran to meet him and embraced him, threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. And they both wept. This is not what we were expecting, was it? It's certainly not what Jacob was expecting. It's not what he was, he he was expecting revenge, vengeance. What he got was was this reunion, this tearful reunion, this embrace. He, He was expecting tears, but he was expecting tears of pain, right? Not joy. This is not what we were, and, and, and later on, we go on to read that, that Esau says, who are these people? Who are these people? Now, what Jacob would have thought is he, Esau's gonna kill him. He just wants to know them. Esau's like, these are my, these are my in-laws. These are my nieces and nephews. I've, I've never met them before. And later on, Esau offers protection to Jacob. And then in verse 12, after they're done with this reunion, Esau says, come, let's go. I will lead the way. And my thought after I read that was, does he ever? Esau leads the way. He leads the way in his example. He leads the way in mercy and forgiveness and reconciliation and in dealing with this baggage of resentment. Something happened over the course of the 20 years for Esau that that I think we can learn from that's an example for us now 4,000 years later. Starting with, somewhere along the way in those 20 years, Esau must have had the thought, okay, my brother, my my little brother, he's he's not not perfect. Now, some of you have a little brother, you're saying, it didn't take me 20 years to figure that out. (laughs) And maybe it didn't take Esau 20 years, but some point along the way, he came to terms with Jacob's imperfect humanity. And in that same moment, he may have gone, okay, kind of like me, I'm not perfect either. And if you read Esau's story, you find out that he wasn't perfect either. So, so coming to terms with, with the imperfection of other people is part of how we deal with resentment, okay? I mean, we've, we've got to let go of the expectation of perfection when it comes to people. Otherwise, we will constantly be getting disappointed and picking up bags of resentment because people will be letting us down all the time. There's only one who will never let us down. His name is Jesus. So we get that, the imperfect part. But, but I think it's helpful to to consider why, some of the reasons why people cause resentment, why they behave in certain ways that can cause resentment for us. Now, I I need to give credit where credit's due. I stole this from the Wednesday morning women's Bible study, okay, because I attend every week. I don't. Maybe I should, though, because it's good, and my my wife gave me this. But um, people who cause resentment do so for a variety of reasons. But I think these three cover a lot of ground. For us, they sometimes cause resentment because they're just unaware that they're doing it. Sometimes they, they cause resentment because they are unable to do any different. And sometimes they cause resentment because they're unwilling. People who are unaware, <laughs> she, Beth Moore tells this story apparently, because I really wasn't there, but tells this story that 
a lot of women experience, apparently, because uh, sometimes husbands will come home and they'll, they'll sit on their chair, right? Mine's a red chair, and they feel like they've worked a hard day and they kind of deserve, you know, to rest. Or maybe it, the roles are reversed and it's vice versa. But anyway, the one who comes home from work and the wife's in the kitchen going, you think I didn't work a hard, full day? You, you, think I, you think my day was easy? You think I would, you know, you don't think I'd like to take a load off my feet? And, and then Beth Moore says, you know, ah, but women, have you told her, have you told your spouse that you resent that? Well, maybe not. Because we all know that if husbands are told what they're doing wrong, they're going to do the right thing every time, right? <laughs> so maybe some people are just unaware of what they're doing, and it's, it's kind of on us to tell them. Or maybe people are unable to do any different because of their training, because of their tool, lack of tools, because of their upbringing. They just don't have the emotional capacity. This has been helpful for me in my life. It doesn't excuse behavior. It doesn't excuse abusive behavior, certainly. It, does, it shouldn't lead to enabling. But just recognize that there are some people that we've been trying to get something from them that they just can't give because of where they've been and who they are. The resentment kind of it, it dissipates a little bit when that happens. And then there are some people who are unwilling to do any different. They, they, they're aware that they're hurting people and they don't care maybe or they, they're prideful or they're narcissistic or they're um, blaming other people all the time. And, and if I could just say pastorally for a moment, that if, that if you are a follower of Jesus specifically at this church, let's all be aware um, of not being that kind of person that's unwilling to change so that we're not causing pain and hurting other people's lives, okay? And, I, and I, I'm putting myself in that category too. We gotta be open to changing our behaviors. So which one was Jacob? We don't know for sure. Maybe all three, 20 years ago, he was all three of those. But still Esau works through his resentment and unpacks this baggage, this heavy baggage of resentment, how does he do it? How does he do it? I think we, we can pull three application points from Esau's example that, that will help us deal with our baggage of resentment in our lives. Starting with, Esau was honest about his feelings. Those feelings that he had initially. Those feelings of, of being wronged, of being hurt. We, we read it earlier, he was angry. He hated that's a strong word. He hated, though. He felt like he hated. He wanted to kill his brother. He wanted to wring his neck. Probably not the only older brother in the history of brotherhood, right? There are times, especially initially, when, we're, when we just need to feel what? How we're feeling. From disappointment to frustration to maybe even some anger. I want to wring his neck. Don't actually do it, right? But, but feeling it. So I think... Christianity at times has sent the wrong message about feelings. You know, when you feel something, you're hurt, and then, and then someone tells you, well, just pray about it. Just, you know, forgive them right away. And what, you know what that does? It just, it just stuffs the feelings, Those, these healthy, God-given mechanisms for working through pain. Implicitly and explicitly at times, the message has been sent to us, emotions are bad, emotions are bad. They're not bad. They are good. They are they're from God. They're given. We're created to emote, to have emotions, and, and God has created us that way. Of course, how we process them makes all the difference, but it starts with finding a place where you can, you can share those feelings in a safe way and have them validated. I feel led to do that right now. Some of you, you're feeling or you have felt pain, and, and, and I'm sorry that that happened to you. 
I, w- I truly wish it had not happened to you. And it's understandable that it hurt and, and that you're feeling something. Those are valid feelings. They're valid. But it's really important that we process those feelings in a healthy way, and it's certainly important that we don't stuff them. Because if we stuff them, this can happen. I, I read this in a magazine uh, about six months ago, and I thought, eventually this is going to fit, and it did fit. So during World War II, thousands of bombs were dropped on Europe. Thousands. And most of them exploded and created destruction. Some of them did not. And people are still finding these undetonated bombs in Europe, including this one that was found in the garden in the UK. A wife walked in and her husband was washing it in the kitchen sink. And it says she was alarmed. (laughs) But that's what could happen when we stuff our feelings it's like they go under the surface, they become these undetonated bombs that, that at the right time or the wrong time can go off and we carry them around in baggage. We've got to process those feelings and find a place to do that. And Esau does that. He starts with those feelings of anger, but then he doesn't, fortunately doesn't end there. Fortunately for Jacob, right? The second thing he does is he takes time to work through it. He takes time to, to work through. It takes time, 20 years for Esau, it doesn't always take 20 years to work through our resentment. Sometimes it does. He had his birthright stolen. It takes time. There's a quote that gets thrown around a lot, that, that time heals all wounds. Time heals all wounds. It's, that quote is partially true. Time does give us time to process. But it, hear this. It is possible for 20 years to go by and for there to be no healing, for there to be no baggage lifted. Why? Because you can't just let time go by. It takes a lot of prayer and care to work through this stuff related to resentment. A lot of prayer and care. That's why we have prayer ministers, trained prayer ministers here every weekend up front in the, in the prayer room ready to pray with you. They'll do so today. It takes prayer, lots of prayer. We have prayer and freedom ministry, sozo, healing prayer ministry, and care. Our care ministries. And then we would... I was thinking about it this way. I, I would recommend, as your pastor, that everyone at some point in their life go through some kind of counseling or therapy or just process this stuff with someone who is a professional can help you validate those feelings and then help you work through those feelings of resentment. You don't have to do this alone. That's the good news. You don't have to do this alone. And most of all, Jesus is the one who's walking with you. That's why that quote, time heals all wounds, is insufficient. Jesus heals all wounds. And he wants to walk with us through that. So take your time, but, but hear this. This was my tennis coach in high school. He would always say, take your time, hurry up. Take your time, hurry up. You gotta take time, but you also can't just let it go and keep letting it go because, like I said earlier, those feelings that are healthy and normal and good can start to seep down into our being and into our bones. The Bible refers to these in Hebrews uh, 12 as, as a root of bitterness. The author of Hebrews says, watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you. This is what can happen with resentment when we don't start to deal with it and dig it up and root it out. It becomes this root that grows down deep into our lives. And we're no longer just feeling things like resentment and disappointment. It becomes a way of being in our lives. We refer to this sometimes as a spirit of offense where we walk around with the spirit of offense and we're just always getting offended by people and it's just weighing us down. It's not hurting anybody else, it's hurting you. And and this this idea of roots, right? I mean, when you, you know of plants, we have buckthorn in our woods. 
And that is tough stuff to get out of there. It, it grows down. And it, so take your time, hurry up, and, and deal with this stuff. Find a safe place. There, there are people who are ready to walk with you. And God is always, always a safe place. But then over time, a third thing hap- can happen. And that is we can start to see people the way that God sees them. We can start to see people the way that God sees them. If we're going to work through the resentment and grudges and, and bitterness in our life, we, eventually, maybe not right away, maybe not right out of the chute, but eventually start to see people the way that God sees them. I believe when you start putting the whole narrative of Bible together, the Bible together, that, that Esau absolutely sees Jacob the way that God sees Jacob. How do I know this? Because 2,000 years later, Jesus tells a story about the prodigal son who leaves his home, he wastes his inheritance, and then he finally, you know, he's lost everything, he's eaten, you know, what the pigs eat, and then he decides to come home. How do you think his father feels to be all kind of resentment there, but his father, who's the God figure in the story that Jesus tells, are you starting to see, are you starting to see the Jacob and Esau story in this as well? The father runs to his lost son and embraces him and hugs him. I mean, 2,000 years before Jesus tells this prodigal son story, Esau is acting like the prodigal father. He's acting like God. He has overcome that resentment, that is resentment that he would feel and he runs and embraces Jacob and sees him like God sees him. They have a moment it's like a moment. There's this embrace, this coming together after 20 years of not speaking to each other. It's a moment. It's like a made-for-TV kind of moment or made-for-the-movies kind of moment. And I, I know that they have this moment because there's the words we, we saw earlier, Genesis 33, 9. Jacob's trying to give him a gift, you know, to appease him. And Esau says, my brother, I have plenty Keep what you have for yourself. But it's those two words, my brother, that the very center of this moment of reconciliation of, of Esau, knowing that Esau has dealt with the baggage of resentment, those words, my brother. It's like in that moment, Esau, I think you can read it this way, my, my little brother, my kid brother. This is my brother who I, I used to run around in the fields with. I used to wrestle with when we were little tykes, which is probably awkward for Jacob with all that hair on Esau. But anyway, they were wrestling. This is my brother. It's my little brother. My, my brother. This is a moment of, of reconciliation, of mercy and forgiveness and doing what only God can do to deal with resentment in our lives. I mean, I, I think you can, I, I can almost hear the soundtrack playing behind them as they come together like this. It gets in a movie. I love it. It's baseball season. Some of you are all too aware of that right now. I'm not going to say anything about the twins, okay? It's baseball season. And, and I love the movie Field of Dreams. And there's a scene in the movie where, where the main character, Ray, who's had this lifetime of resentment toward his dad, through the magic of the movie, his dad comes through the, the, the corn into the baseball field, the Field of Dreams, as a kid. 
and they're able to play catch together. And they throw the ball back and forth, and this lifetime of resentment starts to fall off of Ray. It's like, yeah, my dad was a kid once. He was a kid with that gleam in his eye. It's true of everybody. This moment. What's your moment? What's your moment? Where those bags of resentment start to lift off, where you begin to see people the way that God sees them. And maybe that moment you will actually be able to come together with that person. Sometimes that happens and it's nothing short of miraculous. It's more miraculous than finding lost luggage in Shanghai, China. But sometimes you can't, you know, because that person's gone or they're unwilling or it's not safe, but you can do so in, you know, your heart and with God and, and prayerfully, you can still have that moment and begin to see people the way that God sees them, which, hear me, is always through the lens of love. It's always through the lens of love. God is love. 1 Corinthians 13 says that love is not resentful. It bears no records of wrong. That's how God sees people. And the only way for us to see people that way is to know that God sees us that way. To know that God looks at us even though we're imperfect, even though we're a work in progress, even though we are like Jacob sometimes, we are like Esau sometimes, we are sinner and saint. He looks at us and he loves us unconditionally. He's not resenting us. He's not holding things against us. He loves you. And the more we know that, the more those bags of resentment will begin to slip away and slide off and even lift off. Do you know that the God of the universe has his eye on you and he's looking at you through the lens of love? And the more we know that, the more the bags. This is a series on baggage claim. I told you it starts and ends with Jesus. And the only way for us to kind of lose that luggage or have the weight lifted, lose weight, we've been talking about that, is to bring those bags to Jesus and to let him carry them for us. I gotta put this up there because about 27 of you put this on my Facebook page, this picture, all right, of Jesus carrying luggage. It kind of captures it, doesn't it? I've got it. I'll take it and follow me. As we land the plane of this series, we want to give you a chance to do that. Whatever your baggage is, whatever you're carrying, it may be one of the three R's, it may be something totally different. Whatever it is, though, we want to give you a chance to give it to Jesus, to leave it at the foot of the cross, to put it down. Would you take out your program that you received on the way in? And there's a tear-off. Some of you, you're so smart, you already figured this out. But if you tear off this bag tag, and in these next few moments, we want to give you an opportunity to pray, to listen, to, to ask God, what is the baggage that I need to, to give to you, that I need to bring to you, to put at the foot of the cross? Because after the service, and I'll explain this after the song, you'll have an opportunity to do that on your way out, to to put it at the foot of the cross. But during this time, just write it down. Put it down. Put it down. Put it down. Put it down. On here first, and then prayerfully, spiritually begin to put it down. Lay it down, to give it to him. And we've even prepared a little soundtrack music for you. 
that this might be a moment, we hope and we pray. Let me pray right now. God, we invite you into this time. We ask that you continue to move and remove anything that's standing in the way, God, of what you want to do. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to see what maybe we've seen or maybe what we haven't been able to see, see baggage that we're carrying, Lord, that we can now in this moment begin to put down on paper physically but spiritually even more, begin to put it down at the foot of the cross where you can carry it so that we can live lighter and freer, more peaceful lives with your yoke upon us. Thank you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. If the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. And so whatever you have put on here, you bring this to the Lord, and and he is setting you free. He's saying, I'm going to put on my shoulders, I'm going to carry it. And I hope you were able in that time to identify what baggage you're carrying, whatever it is. And there are a couple things you can do with these bag tags. Um, from here. One is there are people, as always, that are ready to pray with you up front in the prayer room, trained prayer ministers. They'd love to pray with you about this or anything you want to pray about. And then by each of the main doors, there are crosses. Isn't it? This, is, this is so good. And there are suitcases at the base of each, uh, each cross. As you leave here today, make a physical act that reflects what's happening spiritually in your lives. Drop it off at the foot of the cross. No one's going to come in behind you and look and see what you wrote, Okay. Just drop it off and leave here lighter and freer and live more fully now as Jesus uh, carries your baggage and we follow him. Amen? Stand for a closing blessing, please. Hear this ancient blessing from God's heart to yours. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord look upon you with favor and give you his peace. For his yoke is easy, and his burden is light. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, amen. Can we give it up for God right now? God bless you. God loves you. We love you. We'll see you next week.